Welcome to Key Exchanges in the 901 Podcast. It's the podcast where we share the real stories of the real estate community here in Memphis. These are the stories that help every key change hands, the stories that are shaping the real estate market in our city. I'm Dane Williams, your key connection for home insurance, and I'll be your host today. And we're recording today's show in our studio that is powered by the Jason Woods Home Loan Team and Sophie Sandlin Reigns, both of them phenomenal loan officers with Community Mortgage. Hard work, creativity, and persistency are some of the defining marks of real difference makers in any industry. And today's episode, we're going to dive into those just full force. In my second segment, I'll be joined by Rachel Jaquies with Reed Realtors and the, uh, the artist formerly known as Abby Tompkins, now Abby Cook with Keller Williams. We'll be discussing staying in front of your sphere of influence and unpacking some of the creative things that they've done as it pertains to holiday marketing as well. I can assure you that you won't want to miss that one. Before I introduce our first guest, though, I want to take a second to tell you a little bit about one of our featured partners on today's episode. Ruby Red Media is one of our featured partners this week on Key Exchanges in the 901. Did you know that 82% of all consumer internet traffic is made up of online videos? More than 83% of internet users in the U.S. access digital video content this year and viewers retain 95% of a message when they watch it in video form compared to 10% when just reading the text. All that said, if you're not utilizing video as a way to sell your real estate business, then you're missing the mark. Once you've settled on that, then the only choice to make is to call John Arroyo with Ruby Red Media. Whether it's branding videos or micro content for social media, or cinematic walkthroughs and photos for your next listing, there's no one better than John and his team at Ruby Red Media. A lot of you may have seen some of my earlier videos that I personally made when I was getting started in the real estate industry back in the day, but when it came time for me to partner with a video pro to make content for the podcast, there's no other option to consider other than Ruby Red Media. I know there's someone out there thinking, I'd look ridiculous on video. I hate the sound of my voice. I don't even know what I'd say. And I can tell you from firsthand experience and the testimonials of countless others that the team at Ruby Red will make the entire experience comfortable and enjoyable. And they're going to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward in your next video project. When we know the industry is heading a direction now, you can make that decision today to get out ahead of it and be one of the ones leading or be left playing catch up to your competitors down the road. If you'd like to check out some of their work, head to Instagram and search for at John Ruby Red Media. That's John J-O-H-N Ruby Red Media. Or you can go to their website at rubyredmedia.com. And if you're ready to start the ball rolling, you can email him directly john at rubyredmedia.com and start the conversation. Ruby Red Media does phenomenal work, and they are someone that I'm incredibly proud to have as a featured partner on Key Exchanges in the 901. My first guest, well, my first guest is an extremely impressive young agent. He has steadily made a name for himself over the course of his three and a half years in the business by always being willing to, to humble himself, to learn something new, to, something that's going to allow him to better serve his, his clients, to better serve his business, and to better serve himself so that he can make sure he is continuing to make that great name for himself. That humility, though, will only take you so far as he's paired it with a relentless work ethic. From the time he was 18 years old and he purchased his very first house, all cash, by the way, he has been hustling. He's married to the game, and he's always finding new ways to position himself for financial freedom. And along the way, he's helped a ton of clients buy and sell homes, which has led to him qualifying for the prestigious multi-million dollar club every year that he's been a realtor. My guy has been freakishly impressive all along the way, and he's still only 26 years old, just getting started. Without any further ado, it is my profound honor and great privilege to welcome Mr. Jonathan Nunez onto Key Exchanges in the 901. Thanks for coming on the show, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, Dane. It's a pleasure being here. Um, I'm excited to see what we can talk about. Hopefully, yeah, 
I can tell you some things about me. Yeah, no, I, I think you're going to be fine, man. I'm excited to have this conversation, but I, I always start off every one of these interviews the exact same way. I got to figure out how the heck did we get here, right? So I need you to hop in the Wayback Machine, but we're not going too far back with you, right? <laughs> Three and a half years. We got to figure out how the heck did you get in real estate? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, there's a lot of things that contribute to me becoming a real estate agent. Um, I just remember, you know, scrolling through Facebook one day and I saw this fellow agent named Itzo and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You Past know. guest on the show, Itzo Sanchez with KW. Right, right, right. No, so, you know, I used to see her, her post, um, you know, on social media and I was like, you know what, I would like to be like that one day, you know. Um, I guess she served as an inspiration, you know, because I didn't think, you know, somebody with the background with that I have, you know, from where I come from, you know, I thought, you know, being in this industry was something not attainable. Um, but then, you know, one day I was like, let me message her, you know, and ask her and see what I have to do to become an agent. And, you know, I appreciate, her, you know, her for taking the time explaining, you know, what courses to take, you know, what um, answering my questions. And, you know, from there, it just kind of, I don't know, it's a been off and running ever since yeah, pretty much uh, pretty uh, much and you were you were young i mean when this whole yes it was, it, it was a while back you know and then i actually didn't start the classes till a year later after i had the conversation yeah. with her but you mentioned uh it's being from a similar background as you and some some things that kind of overlap there what was life like growing up for you um growing up for me was a little bit different from what a lot of people you know grow up here yeah. it's like um you know i come from Mexico. I was actually born in Mexico. Um, I'm half Mexican, half Honduran. What what part of Mexico? San Miguel de Allende, Guanajuato. Okay. Sure got that. Yeah, got that's that. totally. I, I got. It. I'm sure everyone else got it too. It's fine. So, so okay. So it's San Miguel de Allende, Guanajuato. It's a small town. Um, it's where they have those older cathedrals where they film the movies okay. and stuff. So there's yeah. a lot of tourists, and then there's you know a little section that's a little, yeah, exactly. a little rough. So no, but yes, that's where I was born. Um, I was there until I was four. Then I went to Honduras. And then I came back to Mexico, and then I came to the U.S., you know, around the age of seven-ish, I believe. Yeah. Seven. So ever since then, we came to Memphis, directly, strictly to Memphis. You know, as growing up, I didn't have much. Um, so you, you said uh, you moved when you're seven. I mean, big family, small family. How many brothers and sisters? Um, at the time, I didn't have any siblings. Okay. I was the only child. So okay. all my other siblings were born here. I was the only one that had the, you know come over to a whole no another country yeah. um just having to learn a whole different language they threw me in school keep in mind i didn't know a single word of english oh so i was there looking at everybody everybody was looking at me and i just couldn't you know say anything but you know it didn't take me long to learn english i would say it took me about three to four months yeah i mean all i watched tv in english i mean i really had no choice but to learn the, yeah. the language the uh as it I mean, relates to that, you're talking about you didn't know a word of English and you're immediately thrust into schools and you're doing English as a second language and everything. And within a handful of months, I would imagine your parents, they speak English at all? So my parents, uh, they, they understand English. I wouldn't say fluently. Mm -hmm. So I was that little kid that had to translate everything yeah, for okay. their parents. Yeah. So when my parents bought a house, I remember I was telling you about the situation. They didn't know English. Guess who was translating? And I was like 13 at the time. Yeah. So, and then, you know, it's funny because sometimes you have those scenarios where your parents are like trying to tell somebody something and they're mad and they make you translate it. Yeah. And you're like, I don't want to tell them the way you're telling it to them. So, you know, um, I had to translate for my parents. So, and to this day, you know, I have to do it, you know. Sure. sure. Still a little bit. That's interesting. I, I want to go ahead here and address the elephant in the room because you're still in your mid-20s uh, and you're absolutely killing it. And residential real estate, you're dipping your toe in some multifamily stuff as well and, and kind of all over. Why would you say that you've had 
I mean, this much success, when you're still super early in your career, you got a lot of, a lot of years ahead of you, we hope, right? Um, it's funny that you say that. I feel like I'm old. Well, it's because you've been like in real estate transactions for 10 years at this point when you were a baby. Well, I guess I had to grow up pretty quick. And at this point, I'm like, Jesus, I'm old. I wish I would have known all of this a lot sooner. I think I would you know, be a little bit further. You'd be older sooner is what you'd be. You'd have been old in the eighth grade. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But, um, I don't know, man. It's just a combination of, I don't know. I've always liked learning new things. I've always, um, I always like to take it to the next level. You know, I don't even do it for the money. I just do it to see, you know, how far I can get. You a good student in school. Say that again. Were you a good student in school? Um, I had pretty good grades. Um, I never got in trouble. Okay. So that's good. Yeah. Well, you get that pressure too when you're, you're the oldest sibling, when you are uh, kind of a, a predominant figure in the family to where there's a lot relied on you. You can't get in trouble because th- there's too many things that go wrong if you're screwing things up. So, right. I was supposed to go to Kingsbury, actually. But I lived in that bush, you know, um, at the time. And then, but I had good grades, so I was able to go to White Station. So okay. I had to keep up my, my grades in order to stay there. Otherwise, I had to go to Kingsbury. So, yeah. Um, I guess I had pretty decent grades. Um other than that, I mean, I don't remember getting in trouble, so that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I know when you spoke about getting into real estate, you mentioned my friend itself. She's someone that uh, is is near and dear to me, and she was on the show a handful of weeks ago. Um, you were initially hoping that you were going to have a spot on her team, right? Uh, well, yes. Um, when I spoke to her, well, kind of. It was just like verbal talk. Um, I talked to her. She was like, hey, you might even, you know, could work with me if you get your license. But like I told you, it took me a year to get the license because I didn't jump off um, as soon as she told me. So by the time the time passed, she was like, oh, you know, we we hired somebody else. I was like, snap, I got to do this on my own. So you're on your own. I got to figure it out. But I guess it turned out for the better, you know. Well, what was that like? Because if you're going hoping that like, look, I've got somebody that's kind of uh, an inspiration to me, someone that I've seen, like take the steps that Mm -hmm. I'm going to take. Now it's no, 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 Jonathan, you got to figure this out, bud. Just just like in earlier in life, you got to figure this out. So, I mean, I think it was a for me, I think it was a good I'm glad that it kind of happened. And I also appreciate her for even just taking the time and, you know, just mentioning that opportunity. And man, to this day, she's still an inspiration to me. I'd be as, ha- I'd be happy or content if I was half as good as her. So yeah, me too, by the way, like, yeah. yeah, she's, she's killing it out there. So, you know, definitely that's somebody to look up to and, you know, just for her taking the time as busy as she is throughout the day. Where, where <laughs> did you end up then as you were getting started on your own then? Um, a realtor sold me a house, my second home that I bought. Um, her name was Jill. Um, she was working with this lady named Tina. J- J- Jill White, Tina Andrade. Yes, yes, yes. I love them. I feel like they're my real estate moms. Yeah. So when I first started, I you know shot Jill a message. I was like, hey, so I ended up getting my license. I don't know what to do from here on. And she kind of just told me like, hey, you do this, you do that. And then that's how I ended up at Kaizen. That's mm-hmm. where they were at. Um, I just remember when I first started, it wasn't going as planned. And I was literally like two weeks away from quitting from real estate. I had told Tina, I was like, Tina, I can't do this. I've been working every day for the last three months. I've made zero amount of dollars. Um, and that's something they don't tell you when you first join this business. It's it's not as easy as it looks. It may look pretty on social media. Oh, you know, closing this, closing that. But it's a lot of work you got to put into it. Um, and Tina gave me a pep talk. She was like, you can't quit. And I was like, you know, you're right. I'll give it a whole nother month. And then after that month, it kind of took off because keep in mind, my first six deals did not close. Really? It just one did not close thing after every that? reason. Like I had 
Sellers dying two days before closing. I had a tree fall on a house. I had a client that quit his job two days before closing. So I was like, can't do this. Yeah. It's not for me. I'm like, how do you guys do it? (laughs) So when you just had all the bad luck possible, every scenario. And I'm like, Tina, is this like normal? She was like, no, you just have really good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure both of them, they've Mm -hmm. been in the business long enough. They've, they've seen everything. And on some level, they're like, Jonathan, you may be the most unlucky person in the history of time. I think we did have that conversation. She was like, some of the scenarios you've had, we like haven't even had them yet. So that's, that's actually a good question. That's funny. But yes, I thank them for everything they taught me. Uh, When you look at uh, people that are turning to you as their agent, uh, you said a little over half of your clients are Hispanic and, I mean, I've also heard you say there's real concern for Hispanics that are attempting to to buy a home in the area because it can be tough to find an agent that speaks the same language as them, but then also that, that know about the challenges they're going to have to face that are unique to their culture as it relates to, to buying a house. How have you been able to step in and kind of fill that gap for some of your clients? I just feel like educating them, tell them pretty much, you know, the lenders that they can work with that provide these type of loans for the type of situation they're in. Um, Because not all banks do this, I'm assuming. Not all banks do I-10 loans, and then sometimes not all banks speak Spanish. Sometimes all banks are not familiar with this type of visa. So, like, for example, I'm going to use myself as an example. I'm on a work visa. It's called DACA. So, basically, I can't get an FHA loan. I can't get a THDA loan. Mm. I can only qualify for a conventional loan. Mm -hmm. And the the thing is, not all banks – lend to DACA recipients. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to educate yourself a little bit about the situation and then, you know, find the lenders that can work with these clients. Well, I think also probably understanding the clients with the circumstances they're in and and being able to tell, hey, this is because you said you've got this circumstance, then I know we can qualify for this or Mm -hmm. it's just a waste of time, guys. We're we're not going to be able to make this happen. No, and a hundred percent. And another thing is keep in mind my clients, the ones that are Hispanic that come from, you know, another country, um, Normally, they're not familiar with credit. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't know what credit is. They're, they're so used to buying everything cash. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they don't even like putting their money in the bank account. They put it under the mattress. I'm like, we need that in the bank, not yes. under the mattress. So we got to let them know ahead of time, like, hey, this money has to be deposited at least three months, you know, prior to buying a home. Because if you don't tell them that, you get to closing. They're like, oh, yeah, we have the money. They're like, oh, here it is. It's under the mattress. I'm like, yeah pretty much kills the deal and you know it's funny because i had one client one time i asked them for proof of funds they sent me a picture of all the cash under the matches <laughs> i'm like so you know just educating about simple little things so that's good that's good hey, you've not only been selling real estate but you're practicing what you preach you're you're investing in real estate as well you bought your first house at the age of 18 which is ridiculous to me that you were ready that you paid cash for it i mean what was it that made you so drawn to real estate because you haven't stopped since you turned 18. Um, I just love the opportunities that real estate provides. Um, I feel like the, there's no limits with real estate. I mean, if you invest your money wisely, if you do everything correctly, you know, you're going to mess up here and there once in a while, but if you go at it and you work hard, um, it eventually is going to pay off. I'm a high, I'm one of those high risk, high reward type of person. Sure. I feel like I'm young and I can take those risks, those no, higher risks. So no, not married, no kids. You, you've got the flexibility to where let's go ahead and, and eat while we can. Right. Right. I go full throttle. Like I literally invest 95% of my income. Yeah. That's crazy. 95% of my income. So yeah. And just ever since I was little, I always, I always used to, um, you know, invest my money there in stock market, penny stocks, um, crypto, 
So yeah, a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. And, you know, we talk about that in investor business. I mean, we, we've got buy and hold investors. We've got flips. We've got short-term rentals. Uh, I mean, a little bit of everything, right? You seem to have um, personal experience across the board when it comes to investment properties. How'd you go about acquiring that knowledge to be able to wear all of those different hats? Because they're not all the same. Just thinking, oh, I do investment real estate. There's a lot of nuance that can be different. So how did you learn that? Honestly, I kind of winged it. I Googled it. I asked a lot of questions. I mean, I hung out with people that were doing what I wanted to do. Um, and that's what I tell people like, hey, if you want to learn how to do something, hang out with these people that have been doing it for 40 years. My whole goal is to have a 30 minute conversation with them and learn from their mistakes. And from learning from their mistakes, you learn to save some money, you learn to save some time, you learn what to do and what not to do. So and I also did a lot of favors for them. So whenever I needed help, they were like, hey, you know, yeah here here's a tip you know here's here's this here's that you know they you know they help you out a little bit so you lean on people you're a little bit self-taught you probably also learned some lessons a hundred dollars at a time unfortunately uh of, of things that uh can be some of the challenging sides of this business but either way it's something where there wasn't a set path you went down to try to learn all this no 100 percent. and what i always tell people whether something good or bad happens it's either a lesson or a blessing so either from <laughs> it, it may be an expensive lesson but hey, those are the best lessons because you learn not to do it again. I love so it. 100%. But while we look at uh, the sizable part of your business, we talk about real estate investors, right? And we're not talking about these massive hedge funds that are just giving right. you a blank check and saying, Jonathan, go buy every house in the city. You're working with real people. You're working with, with real families, putting their real money in and, and hoping to, to better themselves as they're dipping their toe into real estate and learning the process. How was it that you even got involved into working with real estate investors? Um, so myself, I'm a real estate agent. Obviously I'm an investor at the same time. Um, I was looking out for deals. I'm not looking on the MLS. You're mm -hmm. not going to catch the best deals on the MLS. You got to find them off market. So, you know, I was out there looking for deals. Sometimes I couldn't buy them all. Um, so I saw these opportunities. I was like, Hey, you know, I have a client that has money that told me they want to invest in some real estate. So I'm like, Hey, we have this deal. This is what you would approximately make if you fix it up. And, you know, just started giving people opportunities that don't do this, like first-time investors versus, mm -hmm. you know, hedge funds. They have plenty of money, I mean. Yeah. Why? I mean, I don't mind helping them, but I'd rather, you know, give the opportunity to those that are not doing it big, like hedge yeah. funds and stuff like that. I don't know if I That's good. That. Well, and, and I, I have to imagine just as you're working mm -hmm. in that one, you've got the people that you've leaned on to kind of help give mm -hmm. advice along the way. But just as you're working deals, you're going to be around some of these other people. So there's a certain level of like, look, I can't afford to buy every house that I run across that I think is a good deal. So let me, let me call this guy that had a good conversation with me and, and see if I can uh, put this in his, his court so he can run with it. No. And the reason why I do it is because when I was first starting, I wish somebody would have done that with me. Um, so now that I can do it for others, you know, I try to help as much as I can. Well, because you're, I mean, you've used the experience you have to, to help kind of the novice investor. It's something to where you're trying to help them identify a flip opportunity, how to secure funding for investment properties, mm -hmm. manage rentals, become just a really diversified real estate investor. I, I mean, I, I think it's an amazing mission to be on to say, look, I, I want to help all these people. It sounds like a hell of a lot of work too, though, man. So why do you want to do it? So I actually like, I like it when a deal is harder, when something is not as easy. To me, easy is kind of like, eh. I like the harder deals. I like to go the extra mile. Um, I like to help people. I don't do this for the money. 
Um, a lot of people, you know, like, hey, how much money are you looking to make this year? I'm like, no, I'm looking to help 100 people or 150 people. It's not about the money. And I just want to give back to the community. Keep in mind, me growing up, I didn't have everything. I didn't have these opportunities. So I want to at least, you know, give these opportunities to these people that are trying to come up, you know, better themselves. So, you know, educate them about real estate, because, I mean, let's be honest, there's not a lot of information out there regarding, you know, how to buy a property. No one's really going to find a deal and give it to you. Everybody's like, oh, I wanted this for me. I'm not sharing it. If anything, you're going to pay extra or I'm going to wholesale it to you. I'm like, all you got to do is give me 3% commission. That's it. You know, I'm not asking for anything else. I could charge maybe 20000 above, but I'm not going to do it. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I feel like if you put good out, you know, it's going to come back to you. And who never knows, they might be a bigger investor than me one day. They might be bigger. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> I yeah. helped you out, you know. Yeah. So just, I just... I just love helping people, honestly. And, you know, to me, working a little bit harder, I don't see it like that because to me, helping people is a passion, I wouldn't say. Well, I, I think your business has benefited from it as well. It's something where you've been able to to see the fruits of it in your three and a half years in and and you're accomplishing some things to where you've got a practice that even some really seasoned, seasoned agents are incredibly impressed by what you're doing. So I, I think that's awesome for sure. Um, one of the things uh, that I, I love that I get to do in this role with with me being in insurance and then also getting so many conversations with real estate people is that to get to have some of those insurance conversations, my real estate friends, you um, have gotten to experience some various uh, insurance situations uh, along the way. I mean, tell me about some of the things that you've gotten to experience that that have been challenges, opportunities, whatever it may may be as it relates to insurance and real estate. Um, Something I would like to know a little bit more would be um, about insurance for properties that are, you know, under rehab, um, pretty much. Um, I don't know. You're the expert here. Yeah. What could you tell me about that? Is there like a certain policy that you're supposed to have, um, you know, when it comes to investors? Because it's not like a normal policy, I would assume. No, right? it's definitely not. Um, you've got a handful of different things. One, the usage of the home when everything's said and done mm-hmm. is going to play a part of it. This is one that they're going to live in, right? Mm-hmm. Then we want to insure all the belongings. We've got some different liability things. We want to, that's going to be like a normal insurance policy. Mm-hmm. If they're not going to own any of the contents of the home, then, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a annual uh, contract that they're on, maybe a couple years that, that someone's renting for, for a while, not short term at all. Then mm-hmm. that's, that's a different type of policy, a more common landlord type policy. And then when we get to our, our short term rentals, whenever we get to something that's a, a flip, mm-hmm. um, it, it can be tougher to find, carriers that want to get involved with that with the short-term rentals you just have so much exposure that you have no idea day to day who's going to be in that house and what they're going to be doing in it uh, versus um, a flip it's just such a short time mm-hmm. that hopefully a short time anyways that, that a lot of things actually, go wrong yeah <laughs> sure uh, but the insurance company says this person's likely not a client this house is not going to be on the books for you know two years for us and, and if we do experience a claim in that time then we're going to be so upside down on that one that we'll never be able to make our money back so we just rather not take that risk any of those ones that are under construction making sure that your carrier is aware of it uh, sometimes people want to try to hide these things and not tell them that, hey, no, no, we're, we're going to be doing a little bit of construction, this and the other. Um, it doesn't benefit you to do that because mm-hmm. if you have a claim and you didn't disclose some of these mm-hmm. things, you can really be in a tough spot because they can say, no, you didn't tell us that you were going to have, you know, mm-hmm. four crews in here for three months, you know, doing all kinds of crazy construction mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, that wasn't a risk we would have signed off on or we would have mm-hmm. charged you a different amount. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that you disclose as much as possible to your insurance agent who, who's going to be working with you is always a good idea for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I want to change gears here a little bit, though, and talk more about you as a person. 
Did you, uh, did you ever have any interesting past jobs or side hustles along the way? Um, mm, I sold candy in high school, I guess. <laughs> you um, sold candy. I sold candy, um, started my little candy business. Um, I actually some, hired some of my friends to sell for me, too. Um, so, you know, I was making like $80, $100 in high school a day. So really? not too bad. Yeah. Um, my parents saw me making money. They were like, okay, well, you know, you're old and you're starting to make money. We're going to start charging you rent. And to me at the time, it was crazy because I was like, my friends get allowances. Like, yeah. And y'all are going to charge me rent. So that's why I bought my house at 18. Really? Because I was like, there's no way I'm paying rent ever again. And I've, ever since, I've never paid rent. The only landlords I had were my parents. Yeah. And keep in mind, I was paying rent, and I was sharing a room and a bed with three of my siblings. So I was like, no, nah, we got we to gotta do something about this. Yeah. So that's how so, it kind of started. So the candy hustle began, and we're off and running. What's that, what happened in the candy business whenever we, uh, we graduated high school? Something we turned it over to our underclassmen? So, well, yeah, we just, you know, we just let somebody else get it. Um, <laughs> before I graduated, I started buying and fixing iPhones before they had the little iFix stores and stuff. So yeah. I was making... 800 to a thousand dollars a week on like two three hours just fixing iphones i would go on craigslist buy the broken phones i would buy them for my friends i would fix them resell them and then from that i started getting into cars and i was like you know what i, I like cars so i started buying cars i would go out to nashville mississippi with my friends i would buy the car bring it to memphis clean it change the oil change the spark plug sell it for like two thousand more dollars over the weekend yeah and you know I was like, well, let's let's do the same with houses, you know. It's not that much of a difference. You just need more money. So you were you were always kind of a hustler then. You were always out there finding whatever the thing is going to be. You were going to be profitable at something. You just had to, to get to this point to where you, you found your niche, and obviously it's it's going well for you now. Right. I, to me, I feel like I had to do good in whatever I was doing, um, whether it's flipping burgers, whatever it is, I just know I had to succeed at it. I, I was not going to take uh, no for an answer, and I was not going to not make it either so yeah i was like yeah whatever we got to do to get it done awesome we'll jump through uh, a few of these real quick uh, what are you into when you're not selling real estate um i love sleeping and i love eating okay i love cooking too uh, i'm gonna be honest um you love I, to cook i love to cook i love to cook but i just don't have much time with real estate and that's why i'm saying i love eating and cooking because i don't have enough time to do that what, either what do you love to cook um just uh honey glazed salmon you know Pasta, Mexican food, Honduran food. Uh, One of my favorite foods is tacos, you know, typical typical Hispanic (laughs) thing. So, um, What's Honduran food? How is that different? Honduran food is just different flavors, different sazon. Do you know what sazon is? That doesn't mean anything to me. Different uh, seasoning. Okay, seasoning. It's just different. It's more like tropical food, I would say. That's fun. Uh, What movie have you seen more than any other? Um, White Chicks. (laughs) <laughs> it's my favorite movie, believe it or not. White, the Wayans Brother movie. Yes, yes, 100%. I, I've asked this question to a lot of people. Uh, I will know you'll be surprised to learn that nobody else has ever said White Chicks before as their favorite movie they've seen more than any other. I just wanted to be, you know, honest. Cause, you know, I was like, should I say it or should I not? No, should I could put I like it. a regular movie. Uh, like, But yes, that's... You could have come in here and lied and said The Godfather yeah. or something, man, but own it. Yeah. Own yeah, it. I didn't want to lie. I just wanted to be honest. Yeah. Uh, what are you watching on TV right now? Um... If any, if I have time to even watch TV, sure. um, if I did have time, I'd probably be watching Narcos. Yeah, Netflix. One of my favorite series. Yes, yeah, so good. It's so good. Uh, first concert you ever attended? Uh, Bad Bunny, and that was about three months ago. 
first concert was three months three ago. Three months ago. How about that? Yeah, that's Where crazy. were you at for Bad Bunny? Uh, Miami. So I was in Miami. It's um, a hell of a first way to go with a first I concert, like, man. You got to go out. And then, you know, we had like almost front row tickets. So I was like, you might as well make it the best one if it's the first one. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, favorite Memphis date night restaurant? <sighs> You're going to laugh. <laughs> okay, I'm here for it. Believe it or not, one of my favorite restaurants is Waffle House. And it's funny because <laughs> I told my girl, I was like, you know, get ready, get nice. You know, you know, she's a little bougie. So yeah. I was like, you know, we're going to go somewhere fancy. We pull up at Waffle House and uh, she kind of looked at me like. She's still your girl? <laughs> yeah, she's still my girl. She's still my girl. So, no, yeah, I would say Waffle House. I would say. To me, it doesn't really matter. I just like the food. I like the ambience and just kind of gives me the... Yeah, it's a, the Waffle House ambience is something else, man. So yeah, You have a show. Sometimes they're fighting. Yes. You know, there's grease being thrown I love around. Waffle Hey, you'll not catch me throwing shade on Waffle House. Yeah, I a, promise you that. Yeah, it's a good time. 100%. Yes, sir. Uh, favorite purchase of the last year? Favorite purchase? Hmm. Well, real estate, I buy properties all the time, yeah. so that's probably going to be my... You're boring. Uh, I, I'm addicted to buying real estate. Like, Okay, yeah, he's... Nothing, nothing exciting. On brand with the hustle, I suppose. Um, Waffle House and White Chicks, not necessarily on brand, but the uh, the rest of it seems to make sense, right? Yeah, he's yeah, hustling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Uh, iguana. Really? Yeah, yeah, iguana, armadillo. I know it's weird. No, that's interesting. Is that... Uh, was it weird wherever you were eating it, or is it a normal thing for them to eat? It's a normal thing to eat there. Um, I was upset because the iguana was mine. It was my pet. Oh, at no. The time. <laughs> it was my pet at the time, and, you know, I guess they just took it upon themselves and cooked my iguana, and they were like, here's your, here's your dinner. Here's your dinner, and I was, like, so mad. So when I lived in Honduras, I had, like, crazy pets. I used to own a monkey. Um, I used to be walking around with my monkey, you know, just yeah. chilling. Yeah. So it was crazy. I loved it there. But yes, armadillo and iguana. How is armadillo? It, it seems like a disgusting thing to eat. How, how, what's the taste like? If I remember correctly, probably like chicken, you know. Okay. You can't really taste it with all the, the seasoning they throw yeah, on there. Yeah, but, I, you got know. You. I got you. Jonathan, last question. If people want to get in touch with you to discuss buying or selling property, how can they do that? Uh, they can slide in the DMs. Uh, there I'm you just go. Just kidding. Uh, they can text me or call me. If they want to reach me, so yeah, that's we'll, free. we'll make sure we've got his contact information in the show notes on this episode as well. Jonathan, I, I appreciate your time, man. I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. Hopefully, you know, it wasn't too bad. And no. I was a little nervous, so I was trying to like scramble and put all my, so if it doesn't make sense, I'm sorry. No, but, you know, I tried my best. <laughs> you were great, man. I, I appreciate you for sure. But guys, we're not done just yet. Up next, we'll be diving into a conversation with two women who are absolutely killing it when it comes to marketing efforts to stay in front of their spheres of influence. You're listening to Key Exchanges in the 901. The Jason Woods Home Loan Team is one of the very best in the entire industry. He's been one of the top producing loan officers at Community Mortgage for years now and is the branch manager of their South Haven location. Licensed in six states, he and his team are able to deliver service that is of the highest level that you should expect for your clients. No matter the loan type or the situations that your clients may find themselves in, the Jason Woods Home Loan Team is up for the task of getting your buyers to the closing table on time. If you've not used Jason Woods and his team, then you're missing out on working with a professional loan officer that's focused on quick turnaround times for pre-approvals and underwriting decisions, creating a stress-free experience for your buyers, and having one of their amazing team members available to help at any point in the process. Simply put, Jason and his team get the job done. If you'd like to get in touch with Jason to discuss your next home loan or to refer a client his way, you can call or text him directly at 
246-0256 or email him at jason at communitymtg.com. The Jason Woods Home Loan Team is a part of Community Mortgage, an equal opportunity lender. Licensed in Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, Kentucky, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. NMLS 99835 and 77047. And they are one of this week's featured partners on key exchanges in the 901. And we are back, back in our studios where we are powered by the Jason Woods Home Loan Team and Sophie Sandlin Reigns, both of them phenomenal loan officers with Community Mortgage. And there is no worse feeling in the world for any salesperson than to see someone that's in your sphere of influence that has chosen to use someone else to, to buy or sell their home. And really, anyone that's been in sales for a while knows that there's there's some deals that hurt a little more uh, when, when we lose them. And we've all been there before. We've all been in a spot to where we're trying to figure out. So with that in mind, I wanted to take time in our next segment to try to limit that feeling for any of our listeners of Key Exchanges by engaging in a conversation surrounding ways to stay in front of your sphere of influence and even some of the uh, ideas we've seen with some uh, unique holiday marketing. So without any further ado, it is my profound honor and great privilege to welcome on the Key Exchanges, Miss Rachel Jaquies with Reed Realtors and the artist formerly known as Abby Tompkins. Now, Miss Abby Cook with Keller Williams. Thank you both for coming back on the show. Thanks, Dane. Yeah, glad to be here. As we've seen our market slow down a bit, agents are placing a bigger emphasis on making sure that they're not missing out on deals with people that you're already doing life with, right? There are a million ways that someone can be successful in residential real estate, but how important do you think marketing to your your sphere of influence should be for most agents? I feel like for us, marketing to our sphere of influence is really important. Um, the majority of the business that we do is with our sphere. We do very few transactions with people that we don't know. And we just never know when someone's going to call us and need to sell or, or buy a home. Um, and most of the time, the people don't know when that's going to happen to them, which makes you know life interesting. So staying in touch with those people and, and making sure that they know that you're there and that your realtor is always important. Yeah. And Rachel, your role is different though, because you're not an agent yourself, but you were running marketing for all of Reed, basically. Right. It's something to where your husband, Michael, and I feel like we're trying to hire all the Jayquees at this point in, in one place. But, <laughs> only uh, three. <laughs> yeah, this, only this, more than most of us have, though. That's right. The rest of us have no Jayquees. So. Yeah. Um, but your role is different there, and you're trying to look at saying, hey, you know, guys, let's make sure that we're, and, and ladies now as well, mm-hmm. let's make sure we're staying in front of our sphere of influence. How important would you say it is for those agents? Yeah, I, I think that's just, just like Abby said, that's like how we do the bulk of our business. And we really pride ourselves on being that, you know, high touch family brokerage. And so to connect with uh, people that we know and their families is just our bread and butter to begin with. And um, as we see the market shift, I think that we've already been doing that with our sphere. Um, and now we are actually laying on more legion tactics. Um, but I remember when, when Michael first started out in the business, it was like Abby said, everyone we knew. Um, and then it was referrals from there, but now it's actually, you know, people that we, we don't know too, which is great, a uh, great problem to have. But even with our agents, I think we say we're a different style brokerage and that, um, we offer a generous uh, commission split from the beginning, and for that reason, we're not—we don't have a huge marketing budget to pump out all the leads and and hand our agents cold leads left and right. So, I, I really try to walk with our agents when they're onboarding, and even before we get to the onboarding, and say, "Hey, listen, this is the type of brokerage we are. If you're looking for for leads, um, you know, left and right, that may not be—we might not be the best fit. And not that we don't give them leads, but it really is about." teaching them how to market themselves, know their brand and how to reach their people. And so that's what we do. 
Yeah. Well, and I know as you're going through kind of that normal sales cycle, you've got people that, that may have just purchased from you and you think, all right, do we really need to stay in front of them this exact same way? Mm -hmm. Um, and yes, you guys are, are big believers in doing events, doing ways to continue to, to get back and invest in your, your current clients as well. While they may not be as likely to, um, purchase from you again, right away, how important is it to continue to market to them? Market to them. I guess why is it important to continue to market to them? Because they're not likely to be buying a home, Rachel. Sure. So um, you know, and again, when when Michael started in the business, he was in his mid twenties, and um, so I think we've seen you know multiple people buy multiple homes from us because of the nature of when he started, kind of maybe where Abby is, you know, and seeing the business grow from there is awesome. As people's families grow, they need their needs change. Um, I know uh, Abby had mentioned even, you know, the thought of a forever home. Nobody really knows what a forever home is. So we always even tell our clients when you're looking for homes, like, you don't know what you don't know until you have a kid, or you don't know what you don't know until you get relocated, or, I mean, you just don't know what life's going to bring. And so um, we want to keep up with our clients. We want uh, to be further than the transaction when they have any kind of real estate question, we want to be that go-to person for them. And also we just enjoy seeing them and catching up. But um, it's about referrals. This business is about relationships and referrals. And so if you're not staying in front of them and staying top of mind, and really people can tell if you're genuine or if you're just trying to be salesy with them. And I think mm -hmm. genuine connection and staying, uh, just staying, you know, having friends and making mm -hmm. friends and lifelong friends through real estate is, is what we try to do. Yeah, if not, Rachel, uh, Abby will come be their friend and then she'll stay in front of them. So. <laughs> yeah. But have you guys noticed that this type of marketing, it's going to pay dividends beyond just the direct recipient of it? Abby, I'll start with you because I would imagine as you're doing this, it's not just the people that you're doing, you know, uh, drops for or mailers to or whatever, but that reach goes beyond, I would assume, right? Right. Yeah. As um, Rachel was saying, we find that through the transactions, we gain, you know, good friends mm -hmm. out of transactions, even if they weren't someone that we knew from the very beginning. But beyond that transaction, um, I started when I was 21. So I Which did. Which is still crazy to me, by the way. <laughs> right. Like, that's to be yeah. off and running, but killing but, it. Yeah. When we, or whenever I first started out, I didn't own a home and um, most of my friends didn't yet. So I was selling a lot of, um, my friends, their first home. And now 10 years later, those friends have gotten married or have children. And then in the transactions that we um, have worked with, especially like the first time home buyers, their parents are super involved mm -hmm. and their parents are downsizing or moving, you know, out of state, retiring. And we've kind of gained our sphere even larger than mm -hmm. just those friends to their parents and aunts and uncles. And, and so, yes, it's really kind of gone beyond just them. Well, there's some benefit of just having your clients, people that were happy with the experience they had with you, seeing your face so that whenever a conversation does come up, that is, Hey, I'm thinking about moving. Well, do you have an agent? Cause let me tell you, I, I've got the best one and you need to meet this person. Right. When you're front of mind, they're more likely to have that conversation mm -hmm. versus I, you sold me a house three years ago and I don't mm -hmm. the girl with the brown hair, you know, the one. Um, so <laughs> right. that's certainly that uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> that girl. Rachel, do you, uh, when you're thinking through how you're going to build out some sort of marketing effort, whatever it may be, do you segment out, uh, 
who you're trying to reach with this into groups that are, hey, this may be based on likely to, more likely than others to, to hit the market soon, or are you pretty universal in what you're trying to do with the marketing efforts you guys are rolling out? So I think uh, where I started when I came on in 2020 and left my corporate marketing, marketing role was really elevating the brand. Um, it hadn't been touched in quite uh, a few years. And, decades. Um, yes. Decades. <laughs> decades. That's great right. Brand. Great. 40, 40 years. A uh, little plug. A little no, um, Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, um, but I think that universally um, translating what our brand means um, really has been my focus and a lot of effort into social media. As far as segmentation, you know, I love that. I'm a marketer. I, um, digitally, there's so many things you could do with that. Uh, but really, like we've mentioned, you don't know what you don't know about people's motivations and and what's happening other than what you see on social media or what you keep up with. And so um, it's kind of hard to do that. I, I will say, I think that you know, there are major milestones that we need to be, we need to tap into as uh, people, agents or people in the industry that we know, okay, if someone's about to have a child, we need to, we need to be checking in and know that they're probably going to be overwhelmed with toys in a year and, and start looking, or, you know, we've had clients that they are pregnant, you know, get pregnant and they call us. And I, I completely understand that because even Michael and I, um, in our first home, I, I imagined like, do I want to walk a stroller around this neighborhood or, you know, things like that. So I think there are different stages in life that we should be in tune with. Um, and whether that's a one-to-one connection or whether we're sending them an email campaign or just engaging with their social content, just staying top of mind that way. They're definitely life stages um, that we, we want to be in tuned with. Yeah. Some marketing efforts are, are more involved than others though, right? I, I mean, a mailer can, an email campaign, whatever it may be, it, it can be fairly not super involved. Then you have some things that are these big events that you mm-hmm. guys have put big productions in and have to spend multiple days doing all sorts of stuff. How do you determining, how do you go about determining what type of marketing strategy you're going to deploy? And, and Rachel, I guess we'll start with you for um, your clients, your prospects, whoever it may be that you're trying to reach. How do you go about determining this is what we're going to do this go around? So a lot of test and learn, I would say. Um, and you know, you can, you can fail and fail fast. That's always a good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think really for me and for, for our brokerage and for Michael and us clients too, it's really been about, uh, what is the value add for our client? What is something that we feel like will really provide value and appreciation, Mm -hmm. but also balancing that with, you know, where we cost, right? Because if it was, I mean, we'd love to do a huge party all the time. Right. Mm But I think you have to weigh the cost and the benefit um, to see where you are. If, you, if you're new, a new agent and you you know have a handful of clients and you want to do a, mail, a mailer every quarter, great. I just think you have to also balance your your ROI and your cost and benefit of that. So uh, that's kind of how we look at it. You know, as our business has grown, can we really every year handle 200 clients at a party? You know, what does that look like? And so just assessing year by year what we need to do and tweaking. How do you guys come up with what you're going to do? Because there's different moving parts. You've obviously got Carson in the business now as well. So, I mean, what does that look like for you guys? I would say we kind of do the same thing, trial and error, figure Mm -hmm. out what 
Um, we like to do what feels more like a chore. If we are enjoying what we're doing, then it's not, it doesn't feel, you know, as hard as some other things like a party or an event. Um, this past year we did, um, a movie screening at Elvis, just a client appreciation event with our clients and Carson. Well, I love Elvis too, but Carson really likes Elvis. (laughs) And, um, that was something that we thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and you know, next year we'll evaluate if that's something that we should do again, or if, um, we want to do something a little bit different, put a spin on things. So Graceland's next year. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Rent it out. (laughs) You guys both mentioned something and I'm curious about this. You talked about trial and error and trying to find your ways. I think there are people that see what you guys are doing. People that are listening going like, these two ladies are killing it. Like they, they just got all kinds of great things going on. But you're saying there's, there's error on your side as well. Mm-hmm, I mean, yeah. th- things that, that don't go well. I mean, when you're thinking through that, how do you determine this, this didn't work for us for one reason or another? What, what are the markers for that? Yeah. I mean, I think attendance, right? Mm-hmm. If you spend a lot of time doing something and you have 10 people, you're like, man, that was, that was a lot of effort mm-hmm. for, for this. Is that really worth it? Um, I think we we just generally hear buzz. And so if people are excited when they leave, if they're sharing things, engagement mm-hmm. on social media, that's great for us because it reaches more people. And so I think there's different ways you can look at success, but um, I always believe in kind of trusting your gut and your other agents on your team to say, hey, this felt a little awkward this time. Mm-hmm. This this client party was, was not the best or, hey, we've got great feedback from our clients. So just listening to your clients like you always should and, and tweaking from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Abby, does anything stand out to you that jumps out from that? I I think if you're um, okay with, you know, evolving with, you know, life changes personally, Mm -hmm. and if you can handle things, it really just depends on what you have going on and and then kind of taking it from there. And like Rachel was saying, the client feedback is huge. We've Mm -hmm. done um, our booze baskets every year, and we continue to get – social media shout outs from clients that they're the best we feel like the they like <laughs> and with the um with the booze basket with the movie we've um have gotten you know direct referrals from just that the movie we um had that event and then the next week we had a referral from him we're like well that just paid, paid for the for movie yeah. <laughs> yeah and then same with the booze baskets this past year we had a direct referral the next week after that so it really those do mm-hmm. <laughs> pay off or those have, but I know we'll send a postcards out to a, a neighborhood trying to see if, you know, we're going to farm or do something like that. And if we do that and we don't receive anything from it, um, we may just say, let's stitch that effort and put our efforts into our sphere or, or what we're doing and what we like to do and just stick with that. Yeah. It was something I was going to ask you about was for these uh, efforts that you're, you're putting out there for people that maybe they're not direct clients already, Mm -hmm. or maybe they're not those super warm prospects of Mm -hmm. she's probably going to use me. Right. So do you have a marketing strategy that you're going to roll out for these people that are not already in that space? It may be a more cold lead. I think the coldest lead that we typically will do are touches of parents or friends of, um, people who are involved somehow in a transaction. Um, we typically try to stay within our, our sphere and people just outside of the sphere um, just because when we're working with a client and there's a direct connection somehow, it's a little bit, mm-hmm. I feel like, easier for us personally. I know that's mm-hmm. not the case for a lot of agents um, to continue, you know, working the transaction. And it, we do get referrals from it. So it's, I don't know, it's 
done that way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Rachel, like, like all good business owners, return on investment is a crucial stat to track, right? Oftentimes your marketing efforts, you're, you're going through this and, and it's a long play, you know, to say that I, we know we did this. I didn't sell a house the day after doing it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was a failure. How do you go about tracking the ROI on some of these marketing efforts that you guys are doing? My husband's going to love you for this question. Yes, uh, he wants to, he's actually told me to ask, actually. That's right. <laughs> he's like, tell her to dial it down. No, um, it is the million-dollar question. I think that's what every every person, every marketer wants to know um, is what's our return. And so I think, you know, when I was – I mentioned a lot about the brand because – because our brokerage is is very brand heavy and like Reed Realtors is a family. And um, I think I put so much effort on that at first. And he was like, why, why are you doing this? And now he sees that what pays mm-hmm. off, right? And it is a longer term play. Um, but I, again, I'm going to say test and learn. But also, um, I think it's important to measure engagement, like I mentioned earlier, um, whether that's through, um, like if you send an email, what's your open rate? Mm-hmm. What are your click-throughs? Like what are you wanting from that email, right? Um and really, if it's to your sphere, you're not wanting necessarily at that moment for them to buy another home. Uh, not at the moment anyway. <laughs> but um, but you know, I think you're looking for what are those cues that that are telling me that this content is relevant for them. Um, and so I think that's what we want to do. Social media is big for us. Um, we, you know, I used to do a lot of behind the scenes things and stories and people love looking at stories. And I think everyone loves real estate. So just giving them a peek into what that looks like. So that's, that's easy. And that's f- mm-hmm. for quote unquote free, right? Um, there's little to no cost things that you can do, but then other bigger events, you know, I think you just have to, what's the market been like that year? What are your, you know, you just have to weigh, weigh the cost and, and, and then the benefit of it. But also one other thing I'll mention is uh, opportunity cost. And so I think you also have to look at what is the cost of me doing this and what I'm not doing. And I'm mm. sure you understand that, right? Mm. With, with your business and the podcast and juggling all the things, like what is the opportunity cost of me doing a big event? And what am I, or, you know, managing social media. It sounds like one of the things that you, um, you're trying to do consistently is find a way to put a metric to everything, wherever it is that I can have a data point that I'm tracking, whether it's views, whether it's opens, whether it's phone calls or showings, or just, you know, coffees that we had with people, right. you're trying to put a metric to, to everything so that you can know your numbers and right. know what are we doing well? What are we, what are we not doing well? Right. Exactly. It's just, you, you can't, you can't just trust your gut, right? You, at some point you got to could really materialize like what are the numbers because the data doesn't lie as Michael my husband loves to say yeah. numbers don't lie right. so he's he's no fun by I him. know <laughs> what's up with that well, the holidays are upon us, and I know at various points uh, in, in your career, you guys have done some specific marketing around various holidays. Uh, Abby, I know we touched on uh, getting booed and, and boozed, and, and my kids have loved that for a couple of years now, and it's something where it's mm-hmm. it's fun to see uh, all the shares and whatnot to go with that. Rich, I know you guys had you've, you've had cookies with Santas in the past. Mm-hmm. You guys have done some different things um, all throughout the the life of the brokerage. I'll start, uh, Abby. I mean, how do you decide what you're going to do as far as like, look, we've all got a calendar. We know what holidays are coming. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to do something holiday centric, how do you determine we're going to do this versus something else? Right. Um, Well, for me, I think it all started about four or five years ago. Um, I wasn't doing the booze basket. I was just booing clients, kids. And um, I think that year I had just kind of a little bit of a slowdown and I had extra time and I thought, well, that would be kind of fun. So I did it the one year and then the next year I thought, well, 
Hold on. Oh, we got to explain to people what's happening here because yeah. they may not know this booze I, I know because it's come to my house, right? Right. <laughs> There's a bucket when you get booed that has kids stuff yeah, in it. Yeah, candy, like, some toys, um, just small things that probably parents end up trashing after a few days of playing with it. But the kids love it. They love it. And then for the adults, they yeah. don't get booed. They get boozed. There's a Correct. Z in there that's a big yeah. deal. And, I want to be on that list. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good, yeah. And that's got uh, your little airplane bottles of something. And, right. We have, we've done a signature drink every single year. I think the first year we did um, some sort of ginger beer, apple cider. Um, last year we did, um, my dad's a beekeeper, so I used his honey with the hottie toddy. And then this past year we did espresso martinis, and those are a big hit. Yeah. <laughs> I personally love those. And um, we we have a lot of fun on the front end doing little taste no, testing yes. parties. Oh, sure taste testing all year long, yeah. just yeah. getting ready for Halloween. Trying to figure out exactly what it's going to be marketing research yeah that's right r&d r&d right but this um each year or i guess it was like the second year i decided well i need to do something that includes like my actual clients not just the the children so came up with the boozing idea and it's grown significantly over the past few years next year we'll have to like execute the whole month of October for (laughs) deliveries we tried to do all of them in a week this past year and it was yeah but um we thoroughly enjoy that. Like Mm -hmm. that's just, I like October. I like the fall and it's a lot easier to make those deliveries when it's not, you know, 90 degrees outside. Mm -hmm. Um, although I think one day in October it was, (laughs) but we, we just have a lot of fun with it and that's why we chose to do it and continue doing it. Part part of the reason is because you already like Halloween is fun for you. You've already got a natural draw for Mm -hmm. that. So because of that, it's okay. You're okay putting in the extra effort and work. And that comes through to right. people that receive it because they're like, oh, this is fun. Abby's fun thing that she does. Yeah. And, and they look forward to it, I'm yeah. sure. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think for us too, it's been like, what is scalable and what's not. Right. So, um, you know, we've done several different things. Dane, like you mentioned, cookies with Santa was so fun. And we had it at our home. It was just Michael and Melvin as our agents. It was a smaller group of clients. It was more personal. Um, Uncle James, who's James Reed, second generation owner, and then Michael's the third of our our business. But he was Santa. So it was very fun and a small group, right? Where now it's like, we can't invite everybody to our home. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't keep doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, props to you because deliveries are a lot of work. (laughs) And I'm sure you're really good at plotting out because you show houses, uh, but like plotting out all that, it's just, it's a whole thing. And, you know, one year in 2020, when we couldn't have an event, we had Mm -hmm. to think outside the box of like, well, what do we do? Right. We had cozy blankets that were, you know, Reed Realtor blankets. Um, and we delivered them to every client. And that's why I say props to Abby because that it is a lot of work. Um, but our clients loved it and we still get, um, it's now part of our, you know, closing gift because people loved it so much. We just give it to them at the closing table, but, um, we still get pictures of, kids and pets and wrapped up in the blanket. I don't know why other people aren't using it, but kids and pets <laughs> love it. So, um, so yeah, so I think you have to see what's scalable, what's mm-hmm. working based on how many clients you have. And even like Abby said, she thought about what need are we not meeting? So you don't want to isolate people of like, okay, you don't, you yeah, don't have kids. kids yeah. Right. And so a lot of our stuff is family oriented, but we also try to think, okay, cookies with Santa was great, but who do we leave out? Because, mm-hmm. 
if you don't have kids, you're not coming to cookies right. with Santa, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but we try to we try to think through that too. Are yeah. we being inclusive? Well, right. All and, all of our people get cold, and maybe some of us don't yeah. have a realtor's blanket. <laughs> so right. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just oh, okay. saying. Right. Yeah, well, I, I would say just with um, the cookies with Santa event for for y'all with our Elvis movie event that we did. We consistently received texts mm-hmm. from clients that said, "Oh, we can't find a sitter. We can't come." Or um, we you know, people with kids couldn't come. So next year we're thinking, well, should we not have it a PG-13 movie? Maybe we should do a kids movie and then do every other year. So we just have to take it each year and just figure out like, where do we want to target things and then see, you know, cost versus benefit on that. How many more families could come to the the kids showing versus one other thing, Dane, sorry, I'm like taking over as host. Uh, But one other thing I was thinking is, um, you know, there's different ways to do it. I, I th- don't think you have to say, you know, I'm going to do this every single year. When Abby gets 500 clients in the next couple of years, yeah. is she going to be able to <laughs> boo and booze everyone? And maybe right. she is, but um, how do you keep doing that, right? And um, I even thought about at some point, we haven't done this, but we'll see, is even if you did a smaller quarterly who are the clients that closed in that quarter? Small quarterly events. Like mm-hmm. what's manageable? What's scalable? And I think that's something you have to think about too. Right. I, I signed a five-year deal on my boo contract with her, so oh, she's yeah. just going to keep, <laughs> keep rolling through. So. But perhaps it's not something that, that you've done, but I, I know you guys are always looking for ways to get better. You're students of the game. Are there, whether it's other agents or other businesses that are doing something creative that you've seen, whether it's for holidays or whatever it may be, say, hey, this is a unique way that you're using to to stay in front of your your clients. Um, Maybe we'll start with you. Is there anything unique that you've seen? Not particularly for for me, nothing that has stood out, but obviously I go to businesses for a reason and I continue going back to certain businesses because of something. And typically it's level of customer service, how I'm treated, and um, I'll continue to go back because of, of those things. So mm-hmm. I can't think of, you know, a certain marketing tool that someone's used that- and has, it works so well, you didn't even realize it right. happened. That's what <laughs> yeah, if it's natural and organic and doesn't feel forced on me, mm-hmm. Then typically I'm gonna go back and mm-hmm. and try again and and continue to you know go to that business. Sure, Rachel, something for you that's I guess stood out some whether it's holiday marketing or whatever it may be that you've seen other businesses or agents do. You're like, hey, that's that's unique and a unique way to stay in front of your your sphere. Yeah, um, I I love when a local business especially wows you, um, and I think in today's uh, world being wowed is harder and harder. And so I recently switched dentist office, um, and plug for Forest Hill Dental, uh, Dr. Vic, uh, Not a sponsor Lindsay. on the show. I want you guys to know. <laughs> but, um, but I love, like, truly, I've been to my second checkup and I, I love them and I will shout their names from the rooftop. Is it because my teeth cleaning was wonderful? I mean, it was great, but no, it's from the moment I interacted with them, everything was so intentional so personalized to me before you even get in the dental chair your first time. They take you in a room and talk to you. They they are genuine. They want to know about you and your family. And so I really saw that authenticity. And so I think it was, you know, everything from their website, all the marketing things too, right? Mm-hmm. Their website, the SMS text reminders, like those things too, I was nerding out over and bringing home the water bottle with the label on it. Like, Michael, we need re-realtor water bottles. He's like, for what? But um, open houses. But uh, but yeah, I think that's that's cool. I also love to pick up inspiration 
you know, from outside our industry because there can be so much of the same, right? And mm-hmm. so one thing that I love is even getting inspiration for content from like the fresh market, right? They do a seasonal little pamphlet that comes home and it makes you want to go into the store, right? But there's so many fun things and different brands that you think are doing things well that you can draw inspiration from. So I love to, like you said, try to be a student of the game. Um, you know, listen to podcasts like this one, it's, you know. <laughs> that's the only podcast people listen to. That's right. So it's that's just right. Uh, Abby, you brought uh, your husband Carson into the fold. You guys formed a real estate team within the last few years. Rachel, I mean, you've got not just Michael's business, which obviously keeps the lights on at the house and, and mm-hmm. selling house there, but you've got the whole brokerage that mm-hmm. that's there um, that you're tasked with helping the marketing efforts on. I guess, Abby, we'll start with you here. I mean, how, how different is it for you when you've had to shift marketing efforts that you have from, oh, it's just Abby, and now it's Abby and Carson and, and right. some different mm-hmm. things that you're having to consider with your marketing efforts? I think the biggest thing for me, um, we did just do a rebranding to kind of combine. We had two different logos, and now we have one, especially having a name change. We were it's, able to combine that. It's a cute, it's a cute logo, too. Yeah. I like that on the cups. It looks yeah. great. <laughs> but we, um, I think the biggest change or adjustment for me has just been toning down the feminine side of things. Mm-hmm. I like, you know, a little bit more cursive things, and Carson does not, so... Um, that's been the biggest adjustment for me. And if, if it's something he wants to share, like he's not going to share it if it, if it looks super girly. So. The, the hearts on it and whatnot. Yeah. Not, uh, he's, <laughs> right. a, he's a sweet man, but uh, yeah. it's not, not his style. Yeah. <laughs> so if he's not going to be excited about sharing it, then I probably shouldn't be putting it out there. Mm-hmm. So that's just been what I've seen or what I've noticed that I've had to make changes to. Yeah. Rich, I, I know there's someone listening that's going, these marketing things sound great. That's awesome. I, I've tried them though. Okay. And I didn't see any fruit from it. It was just a mess for me. What do you say to those agents that are, are maybe beat down? They, they tried a marketing thing. They weren't sure if it worked. It didn't work. So like, I don't know. I just don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I feel that way right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, a little bit, but um, I think you just have to try again, you know, tweak one thing. Like don't, don't throw out the entire idea. Tweak a part of it. Did that work? How did you feel about that? Did, was that more cost effective? Um, so I think you just have to be quick to adapt and try new things, not be afraid to fail and fail fast if you're going to fail. Uh, but I mean, you're you're definitely going to. And so I think you just have to get comfortable with that and and getting feedback from your team. You know, I think that's really valuable um, to ask for feedback if you're not getting it. That's great. Well, as we're wrapping up here, we've got all kinds of agents that are listening. I'm trying to summarize our conversations. Abby, we'll start with you. We're talking about staying in front of your sphere of influence, uh, any type of holiday marketing, whatever it may be. How would you summarize our conversation for those agents listening and trying to figure that out? I think I would say to find something you enjoy doing and enroll with it. Make sure it's organic and natural to you. Make sure you're comfortable with it. Make sure you're not, you know, going crazy, trying to think of how I'm going to get it all done, maybe spread it out over mm-hmm. the month of October if you have to, or mm-hmm. make changes or tweaks. But um, as Rachel said, just continue trying. If you're not comfortable with what uh, results you got, try something a little bit different, but just keep trying and and wait for those results to come. Yeah. Rachel, same question. How would you summarize our conversation we've had here today about staying in front of your sphere? I think be authentic, be who you are. Don't try to do, be someone you're not, um, know your brand, have some consistency. It's okay to, to change it up. Um, and just put your client at the center. And I think that's what we all strive to do. And, and good agents and good marketers, good, anybody in business knows that, right? It's about your client. So lean into that and lean into them and see what really they think is valuable or what they're like, Oh no, it's another 
party we have to go to, right? Mm-hmm. So just lean in and be um, intentional. So yeah. that's what I would say. That's so great. Ladies, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you guys being willing to, to share your hearts, to share your knowledge. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. It was fun. And that does it for this episode of Key Exchanges in the 901. There are only three more episodes of Key Exchanges left this season. And if you want to make sure you don't miss one of these last few, make sure that you subscribe to the show on whatever your podcast app of choice is, whether you're Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, we're on pretty much all of them. And if you love the show, it helps us out a ton. When you get there, if you'll leave us a review. As always, we'll have all of our guests, all of our sponsors, contact information in the show notes in case you'd like to reach them. And if you need to get in touch with me about something home insurance related for you or your clients, you can always email me at dwilliams at shoemakerins.com. Thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to catch up with you on the next episode of Key Exchanges in the 901.